This is episode 22 with police veteran Jerry Leanert. G'day everyone and welcome to the Blogcast. I'm your host, Brendan Hardman, and each week we bring you an inspirational guest or message to help you blokes out there live a holistically healthy lifestyle. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are around the world and let's get stuck in. This episode's quote comes from the great Mahatma Gandhi. And it's short, simple, but powerful. Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. Our guest in this episode has been on an incredible journey in his life thus far. And he has learnt so much over that journey. He has worked in the front line of policing for over six years. Years. You'll hear in his story how he was involved in an incredibly traumatic situation, the struggles he went through with dealing with it, and then how he was able to overcome that situation, overcome that period of his life, and now start something absolutely incredible. Be sure to jump on Jerry's Instagram and Facebook page under Deliberate Ops. You can see the show notes for those links. That is Deliberate Ops. That's Jerry's Instagram and Facebook page. And you can follow his journey to completing a 48-hour straight workout for awareness in June. But as always, before we get stuck into today's episode, it's time for my favorite moment of the week. And that is Legend of the Week. This is my chance to celebrate you bloody legends out there who have left the podcast a review. If you want to be the next legend of the week or feature on a future episode, super, super simple, then leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook. It's super easy, super quick, and it helps us grow immensely. You wouldn't believe how much reviews help us grow, especially on iTunes. Okay, so this week's legend is Dave KK126. Dave gave us a five-star review. Cheers, legend. And he said, such a great listen while running. Raw and honest stories around very good topics. Great content and, importantly for a podcast, easy to listen to. Keep up the good work, exclamation mark. All right, Dave, thank you so much for your review. I'm glad to see that uh, you're listening to the podcast while you're out there moving. I can't stress how much movement actually plays a huge part in your recovery, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you're going through mental health. It doesn't matter if you're going through physical injuries. It doesn't matter what it is you're going through in life if you just need a fucking break. Get out there and get moving. And if you can listen to this podcast while you do that, well, you're killing two birds with one stone right there. I do hate running. Always have and always will, and I don't do much of it anymore. However, I'm still glad that you're using that in a positive manner. All right, that's enough for the intro intro today. It's that time where you get to sit backs. Let me try that one again with that little outro hook here. It's that time where you get to sit back, relax, and let's get stuck in.
All right, legends. Welcome to episode 22 of the Blowcast. I'm seriously pumped today. We have an awesome guest in, Jerry Leanett, mate. Welcome to the Blowcast and, uh, and how you doing, mate? How's things? Thank you. Um, I'm very good, thanks. Uh, glad to be here. It's, um, the feeling's mutual, I'll tell you that right now. Yes, yeah. It's, it's good to, we kind of connected through. It was, it was weird. I was telling you off air earlier that I, um, I knew about you because of your your workout for awareness, which we which we'll discuss, I guess, coming up in the in the episode here. And we kind of because you're doing that through, uh, or one of the spot, I guess, one of the people that you're doing that for is is the Road Home, which is a company that I kind of work with at the moment. And then um and then so I knew about your your event through there, but I didn't actually know that it was you when you reached out to me until I kind of linked the two up. So it was actually it was good to to um. Yeah, to actually finally get to meet you because I had already knew that you were you were doing the workout and that it was coming. The event was coming up, and there was a bit of hype around it, around work, which was which was really cool. So it was actually good to actually when you reached out to actually meet meet you and and uh, and have a chat. Yeah, excellent. That's good. Thanks for having me on, mate. First of all, I really appreciate that, and I'm enjoying the content that you're putting out. So so thanks for all of that too. Nah, awesome, mate. Awesome. Okay, let's um, let's get stuck in here. And let's talk about first. So we're going to, so our listeners can be prepared. What they're going to talk about here. Jerry is a, um, is a, comes from the police background. So a little bit different to, to um, some of our previous guests who come from the military background. So I'm actually really excited to get stuck into, I guess, the content here and stuck into Jerry's story because the, the similarities are the same except the um, between police and, and military, however, there's just a, there's few intricacies that are different, the way that we operate, the way that we, you know, the way that we kind of dealt with things over the years and certainly the support that police get, which is pretty much, uh, I would, you know, without stepping across the line, there's not that much support out there for the police that they deserve to get more. And, uh, and so hopefully, um, you know, hopefully what Jerry's doing work out, will work out for awareness. This is going to raise that profile a bit. So mate, Tell us a little bit about you first, and let's get stuck into your story first. Um, so, tell us how um, I guess you joined the police, and um, and and a bit about your background and how you how you ended up to here. Right. Well, um, first of all, I'll probably tell you something that not too many people would know. Yeah. Four years in the military before joining the police. Ah, oh, awesome. Good man. <laughs> yeah. Except I was a pogue. I was. Uh, <laughs> I was in the most feared corps in the Australian Army, the Dental Corps. <laughs> the dental corps yeah wow yeah, not, not by choice not by choice i uh generally enlisted and uh when the time came for the cause to be allocated uh there was one spot for dental corps in my platoon and i was the unfortunate bunny that scored high enough on my aptitude test to get it so i was stuck with it yeah right so um and was it more clerical work there or we did you do you actually go for be a dental assistant and those kind of things? Yeah, I was a dental assistant. I didn't wear any dresses, but I did wear the green gowns. Um, so I did that for, uh, I reckon all up, I probably only spent about 12 months in the actual surgery doing the dental assisting. And then um, sort of, I suppose I was lucky to a certain degree. I was doing a lot of relieving up into more administrative roles and running some detachments um, at Kabbalah in Queensland and then got posted back down to Keswick and was running detachment at, um, at Woodside up at 16 AD. Good uh, spot in the world. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, cold in winter, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so it was it was more administrative in the end, which, um, you know, sort of helped me get back, get into the place anyway. Um, so how long ago was that? How long ago were you at Woodside? 
so I was at Woodside, I think it would have been around just before the 2000s here. Uh, so 99 through to when I discharged in beginning of 2002. Yeah, right. So yeah, I, was, I got posted. I spent most of my career there. So I got posted there when I was, I think it was, wasn't until 2010 though. So it was a bit yeah, right. after that. And they kind of switched to the, um, having the civilians run the, uh, the, I guess the, um, the clerical side of, of the dental department there. So, which is yeah. the, whole, the whole practice is run by some civilians now. And um, yeah, they kind of the, the army medics and the, the army, uh, I guess, um, clerical people that worked in the, the medical departments, they kind of got shipped out to the different areas. So Yeah, right. yeah so when I was, um, it was a civilian dentist and I was basically coordinating him and um, just was the military presence, I suppose, within the, the dental office there. So making sure that everybody come in and got done what they needed to do, which was around the time that Timor happened. While yep. I was there, so that was, that was fairly important at that stage, I suppose. Yeah, right. It's a... It's a very, very small world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't it funny how you're kind of linking the people when you just don't realise how, um, how close or how, how, sh- how small the, whether you come from police, military, doesn't matter what it is, but that, that circle is, is, is mighty small, especially in Adelaide. Absolutely. Absolutely. So from the military though, then I joined the cops in January 2002. Um, my, yeah. I've actually got a twin brother who joined the police when I joined the army um, and the pl- policing I suppose wasn't always a, a path that I saw myself doing it was more military um, growing up that I was interested in but after hearing his stories and some of the stuff that he got involved in um, that's where the desire to join the police come um, so yeah followed followed into the police 2002 and been in policing to some capacity ever since. I spent a little bit of time with the AFP um, in 2007-2008 and then come back to um, SAPOL uh, in 2008 and I've been there ever since. Okay, cool. And so when you went over to AFP, did, was that like a seconded kind of role over there with them? No, I ended up um, I ended up getting out of SAPOL to go over there. It was around... Um, uh, the AFP at the time was standing up a new unit called the Operational Response Group. Yep. We were part of uh, part of the IDG or the International Deployment Group. So um, our role was basically to get deployed at short notice to uh, high-risk policing environments overseas. Um, so um, East Timor and uh, Solomon Islands and those sorts of places. Um, and my role within there was in the stability response team. So... We, uh, our main um, sort of role, I suppose, was um, responding to incidents of civil disorder, so riots and, and that sort of stuff, working in um, close proximity of the tactical response team. So we were um, riot control with a lethal capability, which is pretty, pretty exciting stuff. It was good. Yeah, right. And then you, so we chose to end up heading back over to SAPOL after that? Yeah, so um, my role, we were based in Brisbane um, during that time and um, my uh, girlfriend at the time and later to become wife, um, she ended up moving up there with me. Um, but I was away a lot, you know, like over the 12 months that I was with the AFP, I think I was away for about 10 months, um, yep. which wasn't conducive to home life at the time. and. We were looking at getting married and obviously married comes children 
Um, and so, yeah, it just it just wouldn't have been great staying there and um, probably wouldn't have <laughs> stayed. It wouldn't have been good for the relationship, put it that way. So yeah, we decided at that stage that um, while I was still young enough to give um, Star Operations a crack here, we'd come back here and, and I'd give it another go. And did you end up... Uh, so you came back, did you know, passing through and getting into Star or? No, I didn't. I did. I got on the four-day selection course and got yeah, yeah. That's, that. a, that's an achievement in its own, that thing. It's a bloody yeah, well, long process to get up to there. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, the one-dayer in itself is pretty uh, pretty hectic. Um, and then to get on the four-dayer, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was happy with that. Obviously, the end goal is to get in um, and I was doing reasonably well, I think, um, the time that I was there, I made it about 20 hours in and then got injured and had, had to withdraw, unfortunately. So, yeah. So, your, I guess your policing career over, let's look at it as a whole. And so, when you, when you first went in, um, for those that, I guess, that aren't aware of how the police kind of operate, do you, do you start on the beat? And then is that kind of where you, your first kind of gig is? Is that your, yeah. your drops kind of thing when you're, you're on the beat uh, in the city or, or wherever it is? Yeah, so I uh, graduated August 2002 and then went out to, straight out to Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> oh, <it's... laughs> yeah. uh, so, which was good, mate. I, I chose to go out there. I mean, it's, um, it's a good place to learn the craft. And, um, you know, they say that a year's worth of experience out there is worth four years anywhere else. And it, having experienced it, it's probably true. So, um, you know, that was good. It was good fun times. It was like the Wild West out there in those days a little bit and you know we had a pretty tight crew which was good fun um so generally stayed out there for the first part of my career until i went to the afp and had a few different roles there i was in um they call it the volume crime team now so um, plain clothes targeting um, volume crime like breakers and car thieves and stuff like that um, and then got into the, got onto the detective course and and did that and won a position at Elizabeth CIB, um, but just really was too young at that time to probably settle down into a role like that and um, wasn't overly happy in the CIB at that time, which is why when that job with the AFP came up, that was pretty much a dream job for me. Yeah. Um, so I decided to make the leap and and go and give it a run, which was which was a good decision for me at the time. Yeah, and so when you came back from the AFP, what what type of role did you move into there within Saipol? Uh, so I was back on the road you know, on patrols um, at Salisbury that time. Um, so still within the Elizabeth, we call them, we used to call them local service areas. So still within the Elizabeth local service area, but mainly around Salisbury. Yep. Um, spent a bit of time there before I got a job as the officer in charge of Maitland Police Station on York Peninsula. Um, okay. So that, that was good, different lifestyle, different, totally different style of policing over there and um, probably rounded out my policing um, capabilities a little bit more. You have to communicate a little bit more over there because you have such a wide variety of um, population and different demographics over there. And um, is it really more you turn into like a local police officer over there rather than... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Here you kind of don't put a face unless you know the cops. I've got a lot of mates that are that are coppers, and um, so you, you, unless you know them, you don't really put um, I guess a a name to a face. But over there, you know, you probably 
live down the street from most people and people know that you're the local copper and it'd be a yeah it'd be a little bit different over there absolutely absolutely and you know you um everybody knows where you live i lived out the back of the police station with my with my wife and um you know <laughs> they knew where to find you whether it be good or bad um yeah. and so yeah you definitely need to be a lot more mindful of how you how you police over there um yeah. So, yeah, and, you know, we did a lot of work with neighbouring towns as well, Ardrossan and um, Port Victoria. So, um, yeah, we've we got a mixture of things. You weren't just policing in your own town, but, yeah, it was, it was good fun, good lifestyle. Met a whole heap of great people over there as well. Yeah, awesome. And um, so we spoke in the uh, – in actually, I – I've actually mentioned this on. I can't remember if we spoke about this when we started. <laughs> when we started the conversation, we spoke about this pre. But we we've both completed a um, a course called the Stair Program, uh, which is run by the Road Home and is facilitated by Dr. John Lane, who is uh, a legend of bloke. And um, he actually came on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago. And so you can tune into episode sixteen if you haven't already heard that episode. And you can hear, um, I guess, in more more in depth about what this what the stair program is and what john's trying to do uh with it but um i guess how did your journey go from being sapol to earning up to to the point where you where you where you kind of got into the stair program yeah so um i worked at um state tactical response group for a while um and so we we used to go all over the state and chase down parole breach offenders and all sorts yep. of guys that basically didn't want to be caught. Um, and I had an incident one day where I was basically confronted with a guy who didn't want to go back to jail. He had a parole ball warrant. Um, I didn't expect to find him when we did and so we were probably under-resourced and under-prepared at the time and I found him in a backyard. Just me and him, uh, he, was, he was armed with a knife initially. Yep. Um, and and we also had information that he had a gun, so um, drew my firearm on him. And because of the situation, I sort of found myself cornered uh, underneath the carport with him uh, blocking my only exit from there, and and hell bent on not going back to jail. Um, yeah, quite clearly drug affected and not real happy to see me. To be, to yeah, you know, kindly, um, and he. He just basically ran at me and um, had his hands up coming at me. One of his hands, I, could, I couldn't see a knife in his hand at that time, but he definitely had a knife with him when I first saw him. Um, but he was holding one hand like he was holding a blade down his forearm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I hesitated in, in pulling the trigger on him at that time because I wasn't, wasn't sure whether he was armed or not. But he was definitely coming for my firearm. So little swift kick to the knee and um and managed to get my um firearm holstered which he was coming for he was gonna he was trying to grab it from me um we ended up in a bit of a shit fight and pretty much every tactical option i had on my belt <laughs> was used up he got tasered three or four times and oc sprayed and uh, i lost my radio um, fortunately another one of my colleagues was able to jump in but we we're still struggling to yeah. Restrain him and um, uh, eventually ended up basically nothing else was working. So I had to use open hand tactics and basically knock him unconscious to get him handcuffed. Yep. Um, 
and that was all fine. No, no injury to me or my partner. The only injuries was to the, to the crook and nothing serious. So he went off to hospital. We went back to um, back to base and you know high fives and yahoos and all the rest of it and you know, happy days. Um, mm. And it, I suppose nothing really hit me until a day or two later where I thought Fuck, my my wife at the time was um, almost full term with a second lad. Yeah. Um, and he was only born, I think, five days later. Um, and I sat down at one stage and thought, fuck, that guy um, wanted to kill me. <laughs> yeah. If he had gotten that gun, I wouldn't be here. And, um, you know, just, I suppose it hit me it hit me hard that my kids could have been orphaned um, as a result of that. And, um, you know, I, I suppose from then on, uh, I was in denial, but it, it really hit me hard and, and continued to have a snowball effect on me over time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so that was, what was it, November 2014. Um, you know, and then our lad was born. It was, it was all all um, happy and I was you know, enjoying new fatherhood and uh, spending time with our other lad as well. And uh, that, I was just slowly over time noticed um, you know, I would be avoiding any sort of confrontation at work. I'd, uh, you know, where I was, I'd be chasing crooks before I'd sort of find any excuse that I could not to talk to them or, um, you know, avoid anything that I would have any sort of conflict at work. And then when I'd come home, I found that I was getting increasingly angry and, um, uh, you know, every single uh, little bit of stimulus over and above what you would normally expect, like the boys being loud or you know, extra extra noise or anything like that, it, it would really set me off and I'd sort of snap, you know. Yeah. You come to the point, two th- uh, beginning of 2016, my wife said something's we, – we weren't having a good run in the marriage and she just said something's wrong with you, like um, you need to get some help and she basically dragged me to the doctor and – um, you know, ended up was being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of that um, incident in 2014. Yeah, but you know, looking back, it was probably a, a an accumulation of things prior to that as well, and then that was the, the final straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you know, I didn't go off for work immediately. I, um, it was medicated, and I had some antidepressants, and was seeing a psychologist, and. Um, you know, it was handling things pretty well. The only people that knew I worked was my immediate supervisor and there's really no need for anybody else to, to know. I was functioning at a level that, you know, there was no, no need for them to know. And then uh, October 2016, I um, had another incident at work where I ended up basically going off at work then. Um, on sick leave as a result of that and um, ended up being hospitalised um, for a period of time after a period of suicidal ideation, I suppose. Yep. Uh, and then started the journey of recovery following that in consultation, obviously, with my psychiatrist and psychologist. And then uh, was was reasonably traveling reasonably well, and then my psychiatrist um, Nick Ford, who another absolute legend of a guy, um, 
rang me one day and said, the road home at doing this stair program, Dr. John Lane, military guy, you're really liking, give Mark Reedy a call and get on the program. It'll be good for you. So I did. And it was awesome. So what did you, what were your main takeaways, I guess, from the, the program itself? How did you find that it, that it helped you or uh, how did you find that it changed what you were, you were kind of thinking at the time? Yeah, I, I, we said it before the call. I think um, I, I was reasonably far along in my recovery already. I'd, um, I'd had a period of hospitalisation, as I said, and I'd learned a, a lot from that. And probably my biggest shift there was going from a victim mentality to fuck you like, mentality. Like you, The only time that you were going to cause me to be a victim was in the time when I was in the fight with you. You're not going to keep re-victimising me. Um, so when I had that shift in thinking then um, and started um, doing some work with the ACT principles um, and, you know, identifying my values and my purpose and all that sort of stuff, um, that was a big shift for me then on my road to recovery. But then going into the STAIR program and learning, like reinforcing a lot of that stuff that I'd already learned and hearing it again from John, um, and you know all about the self-care and communication and um, all that sort of stuff that we cover in the STAIR program just was like a light bulb going off in my head and I'm um, like, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, pull this stuff into practice and, and arm yourself with that toolbox of stuff so that you know down the track um, how, when you're going off track and how to deal with it before yeah. it gets too bad like it did last time. Yeah. That and it's a lot of people um uh, actually before we before i get stuck into that bit actually so for people who don't know that uh the stair program isn't a, a clinical program as such and so what it is it's designed it's a peer support or peer network program that allows you to to develop a set of skills rather than um, a clinical pathway so it's right it has a has a lot of clinical staff within within the actual program itself however it's not designed um, to replace the work that you're doing with a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a GP, whoever it is you're seeing for your, your clinical side of things. And so but what it does is it arms you with a, exactly like Jerry just put there, it arms you with a, with a set of tools that you can call upon at any time uh, when you're in a, a situation and it turns to shit in your mental health and whether it's an anxiety attack, whether it's a depressive bout, whatever it is, you can actually reflect on these, these tools that you've gotten and use them to be able to, to be able to help yourself through that situation. And so, um, but the great thing is, is that it, would I think the the biggest, I guess the biggest uh, positive about the course is that, and why it's so effective is is that it puts you in a group of, with a group of people that we don't talk about. So we've just gone through your story, obviously, Jerry. But during the stair program, you wouldn't have spoken about your story as such. You, you don't talk about what's happened to you. You simply talk about how you can change things in your brain and how you can how you can re-identify things and how you can learn these skills and and. But all of a sudden, when you take the stories out, you realise that it doesn't matter kind of what story you have. Everyone is similar. Everyone's really the same in the way they're thinking and you work together to be able to develop those skills. And that's kind of what I guess the, the, the best thing that I've seen when I've been through the program and then seen it happen in the past and is, is yeah, that I guess that peer network that you kind of create or that peer support group is, um, is, is very beneficial. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the peer thing I think is 
really important as well because you're sitting, like you said, you're sitting there with other people that are in the same boat as you. And when you sit down and think, fuck, I'm not the only person that feels like this. And you can really relate to everybody and um, how they're feeling. You're all having the same sorts of struggles. Nobody's story is ever the same, but you know, you have the same struggles and you know, you've probably got the same indicators that things aren't going so well. And that's when you need to pull the toolbox out and, um, you know, you really learn together how you can use those tools to get yourself back. Yeah. So when you were in hospital, that must have been a pretty trying time, I guess, for both yourself and, and for your family. Yeah. Can you take us through a bit about what uh, it's like to be in hospital? Because a lot of people listening probably don't, I guess, wouldn't be able to grasp that as to yeah. when you go to hospital, uh, only if you're comfortable, of course, but when you, yeah. when you go to hospital for mental health, like what actually happens? Um, so I was at the Adelaide clinic, so it's, it's a, you know, it's a very nice facility. Um, the staff, the staff there are excellent. Um, the first probably three or four days, I couldn't tell you a real lot about. I was, you know, prior to going into hospital, I was only sleeping at max, maybe three hours a night. So I was extremely fatigued and, and, you know, as, as you know, fatigue, uh, really amplifies, um, mental illness um so the first um step when i got into hospital was getting back on track and sleeping a lot um so i was medicated reasonably heavily i still knew what i was doing at the time but to, to ask me now to sort of recollect what took place so it was a lot of sleeping and eating in my room and that, that was about it um it was pretty um pretty overwhelming initially i suppose because of the whole I mean, there is a little bit of, there was some stigma for me still around going into the hospital. Yeah, definitely. It was, a, it was an unknown sort of area and, um, you know, a little bit of shame in going there as well, um, really. But, you know, now looking back on it, I know that, I know that there's no shame in, in that at all. But at the time, that's, that's definitely an emotion that I was struggling with. Um, and then from there, um, you know, I didn't partake in a lot of the activities in there, but they, they had um, art classes and uh, mindfulness sessions and a lot of group therapy. Uh, I'd do some work with my own psychiatrist while I was in there. And, but for me, the, the biggest thing on my recovery was um, getting back into training. I was a very active person before I got sick. So uh, they had a little gym there. I'd go down and, and get on the rowing machine or, swing kettlebell around for a while and when I was allowed to actually go out of the hospital I'd go for a walk or a run and you know try and get myself moving and those natural uh, endorphins to yeah, get them right mood which was a big it's a massive thing for me even now yeah and we'll get into you know where I guess the exciting part of what's coming up soon for workout for awareness in, in a bit but the the thing that really stood out to me there was um, it's something that I also experienced as well. Now I didn't actually go to hospital. I fought it for a long time. I was probably should have gone. And I, and it, like, I, like you said, in hindsight now, I wish I, for me, I wish I had gone because I, I had the same stigma essentially that I put, placed on myself and that there was a, a shame in, in going to hospital. Yeah. And um, now in hindsight and exactly like you say, you learn as you go on is that, 
it, it's really, there's no shame at all. It's, it's literally just, it's a break where you can go for you, like for, for, for people like you who needed, like needed to rest and needed to, needed to really sleep. Like you can go and do that. And then you have, uh, you know, medical professionals there 24 seven who can actually go through and tinker with your medication to make sure that you're on the right medication to make sure it's working for you the way that it should be working for you. Cause there's a lot of medications out there and, and generally GPs and, um, and psychiatrists will generally prescribe you, you know, those, the ones that they think are going to be able to help you and be able to be able to sort you out. But however, everyone is different. Exactly. Like you said before, everyone, everyone reacts to everything different and everyone's different in the way they, 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 the same way that they, they take medication. So, you know, it's, um, there's different when medications might work for me and then they don't work for you at all. Yeah. It's going into that, into that clinical environment where you can just find out, you can have a break, you can find out what the best medication is for you and then set yourself uh, back on track. And for you, that seems to be is to getting back into fitness and, and getting your, getting your, your own, I guess your own mind back again. Yeah, that's right. And, tinkering with the medication was a big thing as well i mean obviously what i was on before wasn't working that yep. gave my psychiatrist an opportunity to you know for want of a better term play around with that in an environment he knew that i was safe in yeah and he could a little bit of trial and error and definitely hit the right the sweet spot for me as far as medication went um and from there on i noticed a massive improvement in everything yeah. And, and the other thing as well was it was a good break for my family because, you know, like they'd gone through, um, on, by that stage, almost 12 months of me being really quite acute. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, it's hard on the families as well, um, as difficult it is for the person going through the mental illness, the, the families do suffer as well. And so... For them, yeah, it was a good opportunity to just know that I was safe and for them to take a breather for a while as well. Yeah, definitely. And so what do you think, I guess, were the keys that, to, your, to your successful recovery? Like how did, you, how did you go through that period and then come out the other side and, and be where you are now? So what do you think were the keys that actually helped you get there? Uh, the, the thing initially that, that stopped me from taking my own life was the realisation that, I'd be leaving a whole heap of people behind that really cared about me. Yeah. Um, none the least that my two boys and statistics show that children whose parents commit suicide, especially boys are much more likely to themselves commit suicide. And that was the thing that initially stopped me. Um, so I'm grateful for the SAPOL training that I had in relation to that. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure they are as well. Um, and then the big key takeaways following that um, for my improvement was getting the medication right in the hospital, realising that I was in a negative mindset as far as a victim mentality goes and then shifting that mindset from negative to positive. Um, so from that point on, when I realised that, I th- my thinking went from what has this incident done to me to what can this incident do for me. So. For me, um, it was an opportunity for me to learn a lot more about myself and how I operate and to use the lessons that I learned from that to make me a better person and a better father and a better police officer as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and then on top of that, then 
moving forward, as I got better, then being able to get back into fitness um, and, and meditating, doing all that self-care stuff. Um, and, and I mentioned the ACT principles as well before. Once I identified my values and knew who I was as a person as a result of those values, then I was able to uh, direct my thinking and my behaviour in alignment with them. And I think often a lot of cause of depression in my experience, especially for men, is when you don't have that purpose in your life or you're not living uh, in alignment with your values. So that was definitely, you know, something that steered the ship in the right direction. And then, so for for people who aren't listening, uh, so people who aren't listening, people who are listening who don't know what the ACT principles are, can you take us through through those? So uh, the ACT stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Um, and for me, the, the theory behind it, I don't, I don't know a real lot of theory behind it. For me, the takeaways that I had from that was that, um, you know, you accept the position that you're in, you accept the um, situation and you are able to sit with it and be mindful and present in that particular moment. So uh, for me, you know, I struggled a lot with anxiety, especially social anxiety and going out into public places. So, so for me, if I was in a public space, um, I would stop. If I was having an anxiety attack, I would stop uh, and I would run myself um, through um, different ways of thinking about things. So I might find somebody in the crowd and I'd tell myself a funny story about them and that would take my mind off of that anxiety um, or I might um, sit back and breathe and um, do some deep breathing exercises while I took in everything in my surroundings and notice little things about, you know, a bird flying past or the wind blowing and notice everything with my senses. And then that would redirect away from that anxiety as well. Yeah. So it was just, I was talking about tools before that was, that was big things in my toolbox that I took away from the eight principles. But another part of that though, like I said, was identifying the values and the purpose that you have in life. And um, yeah, basically you can't change the realizing that you can't change the past, but you can shape your future and yeah the mindset um, that you have around your position and where you're going um, is much more important and more beneficial than looking back and seeing what's happened to you previously. Yeah, definitely. And the act, I guess, the, that therapy is, is, most people would start off doing, I think, with cognitive behaviour therapy when they go in to see a psychologist first and then once they learn to be able to identify the emotions and act is that next stage that allows you to to like you say, to really live in the moment, so you don't have to shut down every time that you you experience something like an anxiety attack or you know something along those lines. Um, and so, we talk about purpose. I'm really big on purpose, and I'm so glad that you kind of you you touched on that and and how big it is for you to be able to set your own purpose. But um, because one of the things I truly believe is that if if you live a life with no purpose, then it, um, then you a, you succumb easier to, to, to mental health issues, but you also, when you are in the mental health, in the depths of the black dog or you know, anxiety, whatever it is, um, suicidal ideation, if you don't have a purpose in your life, then that is the point when you start to suffer the yep. most. And it's that they're the people, unfortunately, that we, we generally lose is that, um, is that the people that don't have a purpose and they haven't set themselves or they've lost their purpose. Uh, so for you now, what, is, what do you think your purpose is now? 
basically, I'm I'm on a mission now to um, raise awareness for mental illness and, and suicide prevention by telling my story and um, you know fundraising. You mentioned the workout for awareness before fundraising for the road home. Just I mean, that's a thank you to them for the work that they've done. But it's just as much for me to be able to raise awareness of of the issues around mental illness and showing people that you know. Uh, there's no, there is no shame in coming forward and saying that you need help and the earlier that you do that the better um, and the reason why I found myself in the position that I was in and um, in hospital was because I was too stubborn um, to to stick my hand up and say I'm, I'm struggling and I need some help yeah definitely and then so let's have it let's let's talk about workout for awareness then so Give us a little bit of a rundown of this event because I'm actually pretty. I actually think I'm away for it, which is I'm kicking myself. I think I'm in the US at that at that time, but um, it's let, tell us about the event and then tell us uh, a bit about why you chose to do this and and because um, oh yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, so yeah, it's called Workout for Awareness, and like I said, awareness for mental illness and and suicide prevention, uh, basically from. 7am on Friday the 21st of June this year through to 4pm on Sunday the 23rd of June. I'll be undertaking 48 hours of workouts during that period. So I think it's about 57 all that, 57 hours all up. I'll be stopping four and a half hours Saturday morning and four and a half hours on Sunday morning to uh, sleep and re, uh, rejuvenate myself hopefully before getting back into it. But I've partnered with a whole heap of um, gyms throughout Adelaide metropolitan area. Uh, so during that period, I'll be doing doing workouts at those gyms and either running, riding or hiking between locations. So um, cumulatively, 48 hours of moving and getting after it. And so is there, a, apart from obviously raising awareness uh, for mental health, which is clear by the by the title of the event, the workout for awareness, but is there a deeper message to this that how important, how important actually movement is in your life and is in your mental health? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I chose the workout and the the physical activity sort of things for the fundraiser is because it it did play such an important role for me in my recovery. Um, uh, Obviously my work with the AFP had to be extremely fit, for that and have always been a fit and active person and then when I got sick just I let that go and um, you know didn't train for a, a long time and then as I recovered um, picked it back up again and you know I, I think I over the last sort of six to twelve months I've lost 16 kilos and uh, the weight that I put on when I was sick and you know feeling a hundred times better than what I was and I just want people to know, I suppose, that I think one of the big factors for improving your mental health is to get out and get moving, get some sunshine, use it as a social activity if you want to train by yourself, if you want to, you're just going to feel a whole lot better at the end of it. Yeah, definitely. Now, we're going to have all the links to Workout for Awareness here and we'll also have, at the end, we'll also talk about ways you can you can get in touch with Jerry as well if you want to, um, if you want to, go down and watch, but can, pe- can people join in and uh, with you or is it, is it a solo-based thing? No, nah, people can absolutely join in. I've got um, 
a few periods when people can join in. There's uh, some of the gym partners um, I'll be doing it at my by myself at. Um, I do have the come and try session. I'm doing a jiu-jitsu come and try session at um, Element Jiu-Jitsu on the Saturday. Um, so people can come and try jiu-jitsu for free there. Um, just a donation at the door is all I'm asking for for that. Um, and at 3 p.m. on Sunday, the final workout um, of the weekend, um, I'm doing a boot camp session at Torrance Playground and anybody who's uh, invited to come along and join me for that, what would be the accumulation of the 48 hours. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's feeling because I was speaking to um, the staff, I guess, at the road home and Jody and, and that who run the, who help, or I guess help people run these events and that or, or support them in, in the way that they can through the, through the hospital research foundation um, uh, the other day. And she said, Oh, you, you know, are you going to be able to come down? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Then I turned around and said, hang on, what date is it again? And she said, oh, <laughs> fuck, I'm in the, I'm in the U S um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be here for it, which is, which I'm spewing about, but uh, I've made sure I've told her for what she's going to take as many photos as she possibly can. So I can, you know spread the word out here as well on the through our through our chains to to kind of spread that um i guess spread that word that you're trying to build because i think what you're doing is 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 literally incredible mate it's uh i don't know how you're going to feel after the 48 hours i'm going to rotten i'll tell you that right now gonna suck you you're gonna have doms for a week but yeah yeah just just on to if anybody else if anybody wants to join in uh in between locations as well um I'll send you a link of the schedule and there'll be links on there of like exactly where I'll be at what time. So yep. anybody's welcome to rock up with a bike if we're riding and ride along with me. That's probably the times where it's going to be toughest for me. So I will welcome any sort of company that I have for those periods. Yeah, definitely. So it'll, have, it'll have maps and everything of where I'll be. So people are, people are welcome to join me for that. There's a few times where I'll be running and hiking as well. So, strap on your sand shoes and come along. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. It's going to be awesome, man. It really, it really is. And so I guess how, it, how is, um, you mentioned before how, how good you're feeling in, in yourself in that you, you lost a, a credit to you, you lost so much weight in, in 12 months. It's such a, it's a huge amount to lose. And, um, and you know, it's, it's really a credit to you to what you're, you're doing and how you're feeling that you're feeling really well. But how is things now with, with your family how's things going at home now that you've i guess come through this and you put yourself back on that pathway again yeah um well sadly my my wife and i separated a while ago that's, um, okay. but i mean that's a that's a result of the illness as well you know yeah like i was saying before it's difficult for families and you know there's a lot of water under the bridge there and um you know relationships suffer as a result of mental illness which is which is even more reason why people need to stick their hand up you know who, who knows what could have happened the story would be a lot different i think if i'd have stuck my hand up earlier yeah definitely um, but you know thankfully um my ex and i still have a good relationship so you know i, I see my boys very often um and you know have a, have a great relationship with them so yeah yeah it's all good that's all awesome good. man that's really but apart from that, you know, I'm back to full operational duties with the police. Um, uh, you know, training every day, at least once a day, if not at the moment, twice or three times a day to prepare uh, and feeling good, mate. Life's good. 
Yeah, I don't know how you actually go about preparing for a 48 hours worth of workout. Like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Mate, it's just, it's, it's volume. And I, I try not to think about it as 48 hours straight. Of, well, it's not straight, but, you know, it's like pretty much straight. Um, I'm thinking about it at one hour at a time, mate. And um, that's probably like a good metaphor for recovery from mental illness as well, I suppose, is that you can't look at your recovery as a whole big thing and think, oh, I'm never going to get better. Just Sometimes you just have to take it one day at a time or even one hour at a time. That's it, mate. One foot in front of the other and then put yourself on the pathway. Exactly. And sometimes just get out of bed and get moving. Yes. Couldn't agree with that more. And so in line with that, that kind of, um, I guess that, that mindset or that uh, conversation we're having this there. So what do you think, um, if you could pass on any advice to people now who are struggling here in this area, who have, um, you know, going down similar pathways or, uh, or whatever, whatever is, is happening in their lives who are struggling out there, what would you say to them? I'd say stick your hand up and, and say that you are struggling. Um, there's always people that are going to, listen to you, whether it be a partner, a mate, um, your, your extended family, um, you know, for fuck's sake, if, you, if you're feeling that bad and you've got nobody else to talk to, <laughs> message me through social media and I'll talk to you, but you need to talk to somebody. Um, get in and see your GP and get referred to get specialist help if you need it. Yeah, definitely. It's good advice, mate. And then um, I guess the question that we asked everyone that comes on that comes on here is is every guest and and because you've listened to a few episodes before i i know it's not really a, su- a surprise for you but um so what does it mean to you to be a healthy bloke okay so i think to be to be a healthy bloke you need to be rounded completely um so not just not just physical health and not just mental health i think every every area of your life you need to be healthy in um, so healthy in your relationships, you need to be making sure that you're communicating with your partner and the people that you love. Um, in your physical um, fitness and health, um, you need to be moving every day in some way. It doesn't matter how big or small, just get yourself moving. In your mental health, make sure that you're looking after yourself. You can't um, let your mental health um, fall by the wayside. I know that if I don't meditate or if I don't move, uh, then mentally I'm going to suffer somehow. Yeah, so definitely. All connected uh, in that regard. And financially you need to be fit as well. Make sure that you're looking after yourself um, financially as much as you are in every other area. So um, learn the fundamentals of um, managing your personal finances and, and you know, be, be safe in everything that you do financially and physically and mentally. Yeah, that's perfect, Mike, because... You know, you know what I preach is all about holistic health, and it, but the great thing is, is that everyone that comes on here, like I could ask that question, I could get fifty different answers. I've done fifty different episodes, yeah, <laughs> twenty-two different answers, yeah. eighteen or so. With if we take out the solo ones, but everyone, everyone will give me a different answer. However, the same thing always comes back: is that you need to be holistically healthy, and that's. You need to have a holistic look at your life. And if you don't have a holistic approach to getting better or to, to working through things, whatever the struggle is, you know, we don't have, you don't have to be someone that's listening that has been through a traumatic experience like, like yourself. You, you could be someone who's a sporting star. 
you could be someone who's a financial mogul who's a businessman like it everyone's going to go through different stresses in their life and it doesn't matter what that stress is but if you don't have a holistic approach to being able to get through that and being able to apply that to your life then that's when you're going to suffer and and so it's just perfect that you, you worded it perfect mate and it's uh, perfect that you have that same that same view i guess thank you thank you no it's awesome mate all right so we are gonna wrap this up because i know you've got to go pick up the kids okay. <laughs> soon so i'm not going to take up any more of your time but mate thank you so much for coming on to here i truly appreciate you for doing that and i, I really appreciate you for you know, taking the time to have a chat with us and and to to tell us your story some of the stuff you've been through there is uh it, it's i know because i've told my story many times but it's it's really hard to do that and so credit to you for being able to sit there and you know, have that open open dialogue like you did it's um it's really really means a lot to me mate. no thanks for having me on it mean, means a lot to me that you've had me on and really enjoying your podcast as well so you keep doing what you're doing because you're doing a great thing for all the all the guys and girls out there no thanks mate. i really appreciate that and so for people listening what's the what's the best way they can get in touch with you um, so I have Instagram and Facebook pages just at Deliberate Ops. Um, so the event for Workout for Awareness is um, under that page on Facebook and there's links on my Instagram to um, all the, uh, the schedule, the Facebook page, the GoFundMe page. Um, so at Deliberate Ops for both. Awesome. We will make sure that all those links are in the show notes as well so that people can click through. If they, if they can't find them, you can just go to the show notes of the, um, of the episode and, and the links to, to Jerry's pages will be in there and, the, and the, the workout for awareness will be there as well. So, and we'll make sure we share that on our, our pages as well so that people can use that if they, if they for some reason, are numpties and can't find it on Facebook, then they can, uh, they can just jump on and, and have a look and it'll be on our page as well. Thanks, Brendan. No dramas at all, mate. You take care of yourself and um, we'll, we'll have to chat again after, after the workout and see how you actually pulled up. Yeah, cheers, mate. <laughs> all right, mate. Take care. You too. Okay, that is it for another episode of The Blowcast. Thank you all for tuning in and thank you all so much for your support every week. Always get asked by people, how can I support the podcast? How can I help you grow? The only thing I really need at the moment is for people to get out there to share this content with people who they think may help and then to jump over to itunes or facebook or anywhere and give us a review positive reviews count so much especially with the algorithm in itunes so if you can jump over and give us a review take a bit of time out there you could also be featured as legend of the week and seeing as though we don't have any sponsors for this episode or this podcast in general legend of the week is essentially the best thing you can possibly be when listening to this podcast it's practically like you are a sponsor of the podcast all right. Thank you all so much for everything. Thank you all so much for your support. Love the community that we're building here and we'll catch you in the next episode. Cheers.